Hey, good morning. Hope your Friday's off to a good start. Um, I wanted to go ahead and address a question that came up in the comments section recently. It's a question that's actually come up a number of times over the years in different conversations and such. And it has to do with the topic of the Sabbath. Uh, why does the church practice, uh, worship and practice on Sunday as opposed to on the Sabbath day or Saturday as, as codified in the Law of Moses? Uh, that's a good question, and uh, unfortunately, it, it, it sometimes can be a contentious question among some, uh, but uh, it ought not be. Uh, and so let's just take a minute and talk about it and see if uh, we can't shed some light on the topic and, and uh, address it. So the Sabbath, I'm sure probably most everybody is familiar with this idea, but just by way of a quick introduction to it. Uh, the Sabbath, of course, is codified in the law in, in Exodus chapter 20. It's reiterated again in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. But in, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11, there is mention of the idea of the Sabbath day. This uh, six, six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall do no work, but it shall be a holy day unto the Lord, a day where you do not work, neither you nor your family, your animals, your servants. Uh, no work is to be done on that day, but it's a day of rest to the Lord. And so we see that again reiterated in Deuteronomy. We uh, see other, uh, many other mentions of the Sabbath throughout the Old Testament and, and mentioned in the New Testament as well. But certainly in regard to the, the, you know, the children of Israel who, to whom the law was given, we see lots of mention of that throughout. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath of the land is another Sabbath that is, uh, that is uh, mentioned there. And, and that one was held very seriously by the Lord. As a matter of fact, the not honoring of the Sabbath of the land by the children of Israel precipitated their 490 years of uh, slavery. And so they're, they're being uh, captives. Uh, so God was gonna give the land its rest. And so I say uh, uh, another one, um, uh, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, but uh, Exodus 35, a little bit later after the law is given, uh, the Ten Commandments are given, we see in chapter 35 mention of how if um, anyone violates the Sabbath and works on the Sabbath, they'll be put to death. Again, no small thing. Um, uh, another one, I'm thinking Isaiah 56, if someone wanted to be a proselyte to the Lord, someone who would join the camp of Israel, uh, one of the things that was specifically mentioned about that is that they would uh, honor the Sabbath and keep the law. But the Sabbath seems to be kind of pointed out specifically uh, within that context. And so, not a small thing. The Sabbath is an important thing. It was part of the covenant sign of Israel. Uh, uh, on par, you know, really, it would seem uh, with like circumcision in that. It's just uh, it's a significant covenant sign, as was the whole law, but it does seem like the Sabbath sticks out in some contexts as uh, being somehow particularly uh, significant. And so uh, now the Sabbath itself, while codified in the law in the Pentateuch, uh, here in the Law of Moses, uh, actually finds its underpinnings, its sort of proto-version in the Creation Week. Uh, this is where it starts, and uh, God finishes the creation on Friday in the Creation Week. At the end of chapter 1, at the beginning of chapter 2 of Genesis, we see that God uh, rests on the seventh day. And so that becomes a pattern that finds its way out in the um, in the commandment regarding the Sabbath. So, now of course, God didn't rest because he was tired, you know. But um, but in any case, this is the idea of the Sabbath. So it's a big deal. It's obviously an important thing in the Old Testament. Um, it does. It is mentioned in the New Testament as well. I'll mention that uh, coming up here. But um, but our Christian, you know, how did we how did we move from the Sabbath on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday in the church? 
Well, historically, uh, it seems very, very early on, there, there's, there's no concrete evidence in the New Testament. Um, there, there's a strong, I think, a strong suggestion of it, but it's, in fairness, there's, there's not really an airtight case to be made from the New Testament that they began to worship on Sunday, although there is mention of the Lord's Day uh, and certain activities that were spe uh, specifically called out to be accomplished on that day, like Paul took up a collection. He said, when you gather on the Lord's Day, take up this collection and such. I think that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Um, uh, most people would presume in that, that what that means is when the church gathers, take up that collection. And so it's uh, it's not airtight, but it's a, it's a reasonable inference from the passage. Uh, of course, we're called to not uh, forsake the gathering together of the saints. Uh, there's no mention of Sunday being that day. Um, but there is, of course, the call to make sure that we do come together and fellowship. And, you know, uh, I, I would say it's fair to assume that we can presume what's in, in, involved in that is uh, the pattern given to us in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, where they gather around the Apostles' Doctrine, the breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. Um, so this is what the body gathered for. But is there a mandate as far as what day we do it on? That's really what the question is. Now, Israel, of course, did have a mandate to honor the Sabbath day. Um, historically, there was a point, um, from what I know, uh, it seems like around 320, 321 AD, early in the church's history, there seemed to be a, uh, a definitive sort of codified shift in that direction within the body of Christ to move to Sunday as the day of worship. In some ways, possibly to make itself distinct from, uh, from the Jewish practices, the church by that point had long since shifted from being predominantly Jewish, like it was in its initial inception in Acts chapter 2. Uh, soon thereafter, it became, by Acts 15, uh, the Gentiles had now uh, uh, received the Holy Spirit, just like the early Jewish believers did. Uh, and, and so, not long after that, the church began to become predominantly Gentile, as opposed to Jewish. And so it, it's, uh, it's thought that one of the reasons why the shift took place as far as the day of worship was to make the church's day of worship distinct from the, uh, from, uh, from the Sabbath with Israel. Um, so again, there's, there's record of early, early practice of this, even earlier than the, three, the 320s AD. Uh, there seems to be reference, again, possibly even touching in the New Testament. Uh, so that being said, is that right though? Does it make it right? Because even though the church may have done that, that doesn't necessarily make it right. So what about the Sabbath? Should the church be worshiping on the Sabbath day or is Sunday okay? Is, is, is any particular day necessarily the day that the church should worship? Well, um, you know, there are a couple of passages that seem to, to bear on this. Um, in a place like Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter five, Romans and Galatians are very similar in many respects. Uh, Galatians is kind of a proto-Romans in a way. But uh, anyway, in, in Galatians chapter five, Paul mentions something that I think is extremely pertinent in this regard. Paul says, if you're going to be, if you're going, and, and, and I guess I should say, the, the letter to the Galatians, uh, and you could say Romans, but certainly Galatians specifically, and, and Hebrews actually, in much the same way, is dealing with the problem of believers having come to faith, um, going back and putting themselves back under the law. Now that, that is something that is uh, a significant mistake to, to be, uh, as a matter of fact, Paul in Galatians says, you, 
that which you began in the spirit, will you now be made complete in the flesh? And the answer is intended to be no, of course not. Well, then why are you wanting to go back under the law? Well, it's in that context that Paul says in, in uh, Galatians 5, that if you circumcise yourself, then you are now making yourself a debtor to keep the whole law. In other words, you can't pick and choose which things you're going to honor. If you're going to honor part of the law, the implication is that you're actually saying that you're holding yourself under the whole law. Um, so if you're gonna say, well, we need to honor the Sabbath, okay. Well, if, if you're saying that we need to because we're still under that Mosaic law, in that regard, why aren't we still under the Mosaic law in regard to the foods that we eat? or uh, other ceremonial laws or dietary restrictions? Um, why aren't we still practicing the offerings and such? And like they did in the Old Testament, why aren't we sacrificing animals and that kind of thing? Um, it's, it's, there, there does seem to be a propensity among some within the body of Christ to feel as though this one particular ordinance somehow uh, is the thing we need to do, but somehow the others don't fall under that. Well, Paul in Galatians 5, again, it's verses two or three, he makes the, the argument that that's not proper thinking. That's You can't just sort of choose what part of the law you want to be under. If you're going to be under the law, you're under the law, the whole law. And that's not just the Ten Commandments, by the way. That's 613 commandments uh, dealing with religious and civil and ceremonial things. So, um, you know, are we to be under the law in that? Well, no, clearly we're not. You know, Paul in Romans, uh, really throughout the book of Romans, but certainly all the way up through chapter... Uh, uh, well, certainly 12, after uh, after chapter 11, uh, he begins to speak to more practical kinds of things. But really, throughout the book of Romans, um, Colossians chapter 2, um, you know, uh, there's plenty of understanding that we're not to put ourselves back under the law, but rather to understand that the law and grace cannot mix. Uh, this is the whole argument of, uh, of, of the book of Romans and Galatians and, uh, and such, where the idea that uh, remember, just a quote from Colossians 2, uh, verse, is it 14 or 17? I think it's 17, where Paul says um, that, uh, that the law and all the things of the law were a shadow of things to come. The idea of Sabbaths and new moons and festivals. He said, don't let anyone judge you according to these things. That passage by itself should be sufficient to answer this question, but I'm not able to be short enough to just do that. So, uh, and, 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 you know, plus it's worth taking a little time to understand the larger principle behind this. Uh, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you according to, you know, foods and Sabbaths and holy days and those kinds of things, uh, which are a shadow of things to come, but the reality or the substance is of Christ. In other words, these things all pointed to Christ and they were sort of a shadowy uh, foreshadowing of the reality that would ultimately be Christ, who, by the way, in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13 said, I did not come to destroy the law, but rather I came to fulfill it. And so every jot and every tittle of the law fulfilled in Christ's uh, life and ultimate death and resurrection. And so therefore, the law is not destroyed, but it is fulfilled. It is finished. Um, by the way, the, it's, it's significant that the very first council in church history dealt with the larger question in this topic we're talking about, and that is the idea of the law. In Acts chapter 15, again, the very first council that the church ever held, uh, met in Jerusalem, James presided over it, uh, Paul was there, Peter was there, and they were sharing their experiences uh, about uh, the Gentiles having come to Christ, being, having been given the Holy Spirit, just like they had, again, as 
the early Jewish uh, believers who, um, you know, were the, the earliest version of the church had received the Holy Spirit. Well, the Gentiles now had received it. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and, and such. We see where Cornelius and his household, um, they didn't wait for the altar call. I mean, as Peter's preaching, they come to believe their whole family and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills them. And and uh, and so they become New Testament believers in that. So <clears throat> they're talking about these kinds of things in this council. And the end net result, as you read the, the final sort of verdict and therefore then the edict, uh, about how Gentiles are to behave themselves, um, you know, going forward from this point as they kind of worked out this whole thing. There's no mention of the Sabbath, but rather just, you know, not eating food offered to idols or things that are strangled in the blood and avoid sexual immorality. That's the only real instruction that is given to Gentiles. Um, but it's interesting, there's no mention of keeping the whole law. There's no mention of the Sabbath. There's no mention of any of those things. Uh, as a matter of fact, plainly, the council which gathered essentially to answer this question, well, if Gentiles are coming and being saved apart from Moses, in other words, if they're not coming through the law of Moses to come to the Messiah of Israel, but rather God is pouring out his spirit upon Gentiles separate from the law, then the next logical question is, well, what about the law? Is it, is it, is it finished? Is it sort of served its purpose? Is it run its course? The answer to that question is yes, it has run its course. It has served its purpose. This is Paul's major point in Galatians chapter three, where he talks about how the purpose of the law, and this by the way, is an invaluable uh, passage to read because it very plainly makes this point. He says the law's purpose was to act as a schoolmaster to keep people essentially walking between the lines uh, until Messiah came, but now that the Lord has come, now that Christ has come, there is now no longer a need for a schoolmaster or a tutor. That's pretty plain. That's pretty plain spoken. It's also significant, I should tie to this, that in Acts chapter, in uh, Romans, I should say, chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about uh, how the Gentiles were not given the law. Israel was given the law. But even though the, the Gentiles were not given the law, when they act according to the law, it's you know referring to like their conscience and that kind of thing. Um, you know, God, you know, there's a word toward that, but it's just significant to point out in there that Paul emphasizes the point that the Gentiles were not given the law. The Jews were given the law. Well, what does that mean? Well, in principle, the holy, righteous standard of God does not change, but in terms of the expectations, the law was actually never given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Jews. In other words, strictly speaking, the Gentiles were never under the law. Um, unless they became a proselyte in Israel, again, Isaiah 56. But the Gentiles were not under the law. And so, as a Gentile today, to put ourselves under the law, that just doesn't make sense to begin with. Um, but on top of that, to sort of pick and choose which parts of the law we are still under, and sort of setting apart all the other parts, that's not really a a biblical approach to the law. It, it's actually kind of a misunderstanding of the law and the purpose of it. And so, um, not only that, but of course you could read through the book of Acts where, you know, Paul is constantly followed by a group called the Judaizers who were trying to put Gentiles or the church in general, whether Jew or Gentile, back under the law. And Paul fought them tooth and nail just every single step of the way, every time that they would, they would uh, try to do this, he would, you know, he would speak to that and deal with that. And so there's lots and lots of reason why we should understand that the law is not something to be put back under in any capacity. 
but rather instead it's to be understood in its context. We ought to read it and understand it, but we're not under it. Um, again, God's standard of holiness has not changed. Uh, the, the idea do not kill and, and, and do not covet and all that kind of thing. These things are still a moral expectation of God and they are codified in the law so we understand them. But Paul tells us, well, if I didn't have the law, I wouldn't know that it's wrong to do these things necessarily. But because there is an objective given from outside uh, established law, I understand now. And therefore I understand my sinfulness, but the law never made me righteous. I don't, you know, it's not necessarily the question being asked, it's, but, um, but you know, it's these things all connect and are part of a, a robust theology on the subject. And so are we bound by Sabbath law? No, we're not. We're not bound to honor the Sabbath day any more than we're bound to honor any dietary restrictions or anything like that. Um, matter of fact, the church worships on Sunday in uh, in remembrance of Christ's resurrection on the first day of the week. Now we do know for sure that that was the day he rose from the dead. And so the body of Christ, we worship to celebrate that, to remember that on that day. But truth be told, uh, and this is interesting because over Christmas, because this year Christmas, or technically last year, 2022, Christmas fell on a Sunday. And so a lot of churches didn't have service on Sunday. Now, we didn't have church on Sunday either. We actually did our service on Saturday night. Uh, and a lot of people, not in our church, but there was a big thing on Twitter and probably on other social media channels as well, where people really, really got bent out of shape about the idea of the church not gathering on Sunday because it was Christmas. Um, now, if, if the church didn't gather at all that weekend, I could see maybe being like, well, you guys should have done something on Sunday if you could. I mean, maybe they, it wasn't possible. Maybe they rent a building and they couldn't rent it on Saturday or something. But, you know, if, if, like, you should still be gathering, I think, although that's, that's not a strict mandate that you have to meet on a certain day at all. Um, traditionally, we do gather on the Lord's Day, but there's no real mandate that we have to make, meet on the Lord's Day. Uh, we could, you know, it could have turned out to be Monday. It could have turned out to be Friday. Um, but we do meet on Sunday, and we ought not forsake the gathering together of the saints, which I think doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that if you're sick on a Sunday, you've, you've violated God's word. But we ought to be in the practice of meeting regularly with the saints. And the fact that we meet weekly as a consistent thing, and often many of us in our churches, we meet, you know, multiple times in the week. Um, this is a good thing. This is the practice that the church should be entered, uh, should enter into and, and practice. But as far as like, does it need to be on the Sabbath? Does it need to be on Sunday? Not necessarily. No, I mean, there's no real biblical mandate for that in the New Testament. And so uh, now, again, I know that probably is going to turn off some folks that are really, really firm on their, their view of the Sabbath. Um, but again, strictly speaking from the scripture, and of course, the scripture is to be our guide. If we understand the law in its context, what it's for, its purpose, what it accomplished, what it didn't accomplish, what it was never intended to accomplish, in regard to our righteousness and that kind of thing, uh, it helps us understand how to see questions like this, how to deal with these kinds of things. And so for what it's worth, um, this is this is where I come from in regard to the Sabbath. Absolutely do not forsake the gathering together of the saints, but we're not held under strict, uh, again, under the Sabbath law. As a matter of fact, nobody is anymore because again, as Christ uh, accomplished and fulfilled all that the law had required, it is therefore fulfilled. It's finished. And so, um, 
for what it's worth. Again, sorry if I stepped on anyone's toes. If you don't like me anymore, I apologize for that. But I uh, just wanted to go ahead and, and just share a few thoughts on that since it came up again, and I don't think we'd actually addressed it uh, on the you know on these posts. I just thought I'd take a minute and share about that. So any thoughts, questions, comments, complaints, maybe on this one, feel free to do that in the comments section, or if you want to email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com, uh, that would be great as well. So Father, thank you, and we bless you for your goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that... Um, that all that was required of the law was in fact finished in Christ. We, we're not righteous by our activities any more than we ever were, but we thank you that, um, that we're made right because of what Jesus did once and for all, taking all of our sin and taking it to the cross, dying, buried, rose again, the gospel. We just pray that Father, we would walk in grace, that we would, um, in issues like this, where there's, can, you know, where there's differences of views and that kind of thing, help us to deal with it graciously and to, uh, to not fight and argue so much as just to be able to, you know, kind of deal with these things in a, in a Christ-like way and just give us grace to do that, Father. But most of all, we just thank you for your grace and its washing power over us in every moment and every day. On grace we stand and we're thankful for this. So, Father, we praise you and bless you and just ask all this in Jesus' name.